You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Game, set, podcast on the Sports Podcasting Network. You seem at home on the court. Let's say that I've played a role. And welcome to Game Set Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins. This is our Australian Open Final Edition. This will be our last regular edition of Game Set Podcast until uh, probably the French Open, but uh, we'll probably poke in with a few here and there. But before we do any of that, my partner in crime, Kevin Laramay. How are you doing, Kevin? I am doing pretty good. What an epic final with uh, upset on the women's side, which uh, thank you a lot, Angelique. You just scrapped my prediction for the whole year, and it's still just beginning of February. So thank you a lot, Angelique and uh, Djokovic. Just being Joko. Yeah, and uh, we we talked about the women's uh, final, uh, doubles final before that, but there was a men's uh, doubles final, which unfortunately uh, the Canadian content went out on for our Canadian hoserness. But, uh, you know, good good result for Jamie Murray and Bruno Sora as the uh, doubles champion there. But let's uh, start, Kevin, by uh, discussing uh, – I think we have to eat some crow is what we have to do because uh, I believe the – I believe your quote – I don't want to misrepresent you here, Kevin, but I believe you said one and two was what you predicted the women's yeah, final is. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't the case. Uh, it wasn't the case at all. Serena Williams hit a wall. Uh, she hit her nemesis, I guess. Maybe it'll be a rivalry going on for the whole year, which would be interesting. We'll see. But uh, the, the final, women's final, Angelique Kerber, seeded number seventh in the Australian Open. Upset Serena Williams, ranked number one in the world for a long, long time. She did not get her 22nd major titles. She still had to work hard to get the four left. But uh, our prediction, too, was not just because she was going to win the Australian Open. She was going to win the four slams and the Olympics. And that prediction, as well, is out the window. So, yeah, uh, Angelique Kirby did not just upset Serena Williams. She upset every single uh, predictions in the entire world of women's tennis for the entire year. Yeah, it, look, Kerber obviously full credit to her. She she was able to to counteract the power of Williams' game in that final and uh, and was full measure for the victory. But it, it's I don't like I couldn't have saw it coming, and it wasn't so much to do with Kerber. It was to do with Williams, as we said many times through this. She was just so powerful, so good, so dominant. And this is the second straight Grand Slam final in which she has been dominant leading into, and then coughed up a furball in, in the final to a certain extent for her anyway, uh, which I guess, I mean, if you want to stretch this, and maybe this is too much of a hot take, but I, you have to maybe question whether she has the same drive at that level. Like I, these- I don't think it's a drive, Dwayne. I think it really, literally, the other player surprises her with something, and she gets angry, and she doesn't able to recover from that moment on. She is certain even dominant in certain part of that game, especially in the beginning. Then Angelique Kerber breaks her, and she's like, how dare she breaks me? I'm Serena Williams. How dare you break me? How dare you do this? How dare this? How dare you try this shot against me? And she never recovers from uh, the uh, getting beat on a certain point, and then it becomes a set, and then it becomes a game, and that's where there's a problem. And I think that's really her emotion taking the best of her, her anger taking the best of Serena Williams when she's just loses a point that she shouldn't have, or the opponent makes a great shot that has a low percentage, and she's like, how dare you try this? It's those type of reactions that cost her points in match and sets. Yeah, it's interesting. We talked about it when we talked about Andy Murray and uh, the Ronick, uh semifinal, how... 
Marie's game was turned around when he got angry. So yeah. it's kind of interesting to me that that some players might play better angry or a little bit intense and it cranks her intensity up, but that there's there's a, the opposite maybe with Serena where if she gets mad, then her play starts to to decrease. It's just an interesting dichotomy to me. No, exactly, and it's all about control. And when you have that amount of power like Serena does, to put the ball in, you got to control that power. Literally, it's that easy. And when you get the emotions mixed up in it, well, the ball goes a little further than you want. And that little further, it's an inch outside. It's an out. You lose that point. And that's what we've seen against Angelique Kerber. And Angelique, all credit to her. She was able to take advantage of this, was able to put her on tilt, was able to make the right drop shot when it was a time for her to run. And, you know, Serena Williams, when you make her run right to left, right to left, front to back, make her move her leg, make her move her mass of muscles well it gets tiring and she got her at the end yeah uh, look i remember uh you you get angry and you hit it a little bit harder than you want i remember when i played um that was always my problem i, I hit the balls <laughs> long a lot because i was trying and then the angrier i got the madder i got i would just blast it off the fence usually at that point if it got going a little bit different in the skill level obviously but uh yeah uh, so even if you put the amount of topspin that Nobody can believe. It's almost unbelievable the amount of topspin she does. But if you hit it a little too hard, it still won't be in. And we've seen that happen time and time again. And when you do unforced errors like Serena does in those finals, like you mentioned, U.S. Open last year, the Australian Open this year, two Opens in a row, where in the finals it seems to be the same mistakes being repeated, we'll see if uh, she does something about it. But again, the way that she talked in the beginning of this tournament, she was, it's free, it's a bonus, I don't really care if I win or not because at the end of the day, my legacy is already cemented. Maybe that has something to do with uh, not pushing and not trying to resolve the problem in the final. It's such a head game. And and I'm going to tell a little anecdote because I think it's amusing uh, from my past. Uh, Again, I appreciate that I'm nowhere near the level of these people. But (laughs) but alas... Within the context of things, it, it, it all makes the same sense. It's such a head game, tennis. It really is. It's, it's golf, same way. Like any of those it's sports very similar, that are individu- yeah. the individual, you have to maintain yourself. It's about control as much as it is about power often, power and control combined. Um, I, as a, as a kid, as a teenager, um, before I became, got into high school, I was pretty much the, the best tennis player that lived in my little area. Like I had the big serve because I liked to beat Boris Becker and I, I you know, learned, taught myself how to do a really good uh, forehand, um, inside out forehand uh, topspin. I could cross the court really well. Like yeah, yeah. I had a, I, I had a good power game. Um, once I got to high school and my high school merged, I was in a very big high school. There was a couple other kids that, that played tennis as well. And some of them had like lessons at a higher level than me. So there was this one guy in particular. His name was Rob Plum. I remember Rob Plum distinctly because I I was the top dog where I was coming from. And finally, I met Rob Plum for the first time. And, you and met your was, Waterloo. Yeah, and he was like, he was like, yeah, he played it up real well. He was like, ah, Dwayne, you know, I just want to give you a shot. I know you're the best and all that, but I just want to see if I, well, he of course beat me and then beat me every other damn time all through high school. But there was this one time when I was at a match point and I will never forget, I was standing at the net and I'd lost to him like 65 times in a row and I'd get angry and I'd throw my racket and I'd storm off because that was my mentality and, you know, my my anger. You were a fan of John McEnroe, so. Yeah, so so he knew, and he knew how to get in my head all the time. So I remember I 
I had hit the winner to get to match point. And he looked at me with a smile on his face and he goes, what are you going to do if you beat me? <laughs> and that's all it took. It got in my head. The next one, it was a volley at the net. And I can still, Kevin, in my head, see the ball and it, at about it, my shoulder level. And you hit it in the net. It right into the net. I, and, I see that every Wednesday night, Dwayne. Every oh. Wednesday night, I see my father do the same thing. It's always the same one. I see my uncle look at my father and be like, is, it th- is, th- is this week the week? <laughs> my father is like <laughs> trying to hit it and it doesn't actually go where he wants it. And it's he's actually hitting it perfectly. It seems like there's a shadow weight on the ball. It just goes in the net every single time. Every net. Hits that top, right on the top. And then, ah! <laughs> match points went to deuce, and I don't think I need to finish the story on how that game ended. I have still to this day never beaten Rob Plum. You, you still to this day don't know what you would have done if you, yeah. you would have beaten him. I probably just I dropped the racket and walked off the court. Might have been the never best. Never play thing again. <laughs> yeah, done. Done. That's always my with golf. It's always my thing. If I ever hit a hole in one, I only play golf a couple times a year now. But if I ever hit a hole in one, um, I'm I'm literally gonna leave my clubs on the court and just leave. <laughs> that that'll be the last time I ever hit a golf ball. And I'm not. That's not a joke. It would be. Speaking of not a joke, uh, Novak Djokovic, Dwayne, <laughs> he did another. Well, we expected it. But he beat Annie Murray again for the fifth time in the Australian Open. Murray loses in the final against Djokovic again. And uh, Djokovic just, again, straight set, not even worried. Uh, is, uh, is there anybody that can stop him right now? Yeah, well, the French maybe, but uh, certainly we were talking the about French, Serena. Who? who? Like uh, Nadal? I don't think Nadal's going to be the same player ever again. Yeah, see the know. French Nadal with his nemesis now. Who's going a to be? random Spaniard? Yeah, <laughs> like true. Yeah, it, like it, David Ferrer or something could be good too. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Like the French is a weird tournament in that, and you have to look at the clay court ratings, and and that is the one place that he is a little more vulnerable than the others. But we were talking about Serena winning that sort of uh, five Grand Slam uh, season thing. Um, Djokovic has to be someone that you have to consider for that now as well. I, I do believe he is playing. As well as any male tennis player has ever played right now. Like he his game is is at that level. And and when you're looking at him handling Murray the way he did, and Murray's playing so well right now too. Yeah. And for him to handle him still with just the one set drop is, is is remarkable. And then Federer with the we'll talk about this in a minute, with a bit of an injury that he had to have dealt with. Hard to see who steps up and, and does it with him, but uh yeah, you just got to tip your hat. I mean, what more to say, really, right, Kevin? No, exactly. And uh, there was uh, I was listening to part of the interruption on ESPN last night, and they had a question saying, "What's more likely?" And it was uh, Justin Spieth, uh, Jason Spieth, uh, and it was Spieth in the PGA winning one major or Djokovic winning all five. And as crazy as it sounds, all five, including the Olympics. That's why I'm saying five. And uh, they're saying, "What's more likely?" and Crazy as it sounds, I think Djokovic is going to win all five this year. And it's not going to be the Rod Laver anymore. It's going to be the Djoko Slam. And I think it's the year we see it because it seems that's the only goal that he hasn't achieved yet. That it's a graspable. And he's all about goals. And he's all goal-oriented. And he, he's actually treating his career very differently than some other tennis men. And he's now trying to have a more charisma to his play, trying to make friends, and trying to have a, a, a more of a good time. And... 
tennis and good times, you play loose. We talked about the loose factor in tennis. It actually makes you a better player. And that's what we're seeing with Djokovic. As crazy as it sounds, again, he's better than he ever was. And Djokovic has been dominating for a long time. And I don't see the end of it. And 2016, for me, is his prime. I think 2016 will be the year of his legacy. The year where we go back to, yes, this is a year where he was the best ever. Djokovic was this year in 2016. Yeah, he was always the third wheel for for the Federer and Nadal years, right? And and he's finally, and, finally, I yeah. think, got rid of those two training wheels. Yeah, I, I, and we talked about Nadal on the last show. I, I mean, we'll see how he recovers in the uh, the lead up to the French, which of course is the longest stretch between majors. Um, but yeah, that's a body broken, and uh, we talked about that in the last show. So uh, you know, uh, it just it's hard to see him. Getting beat, it would have to be something like the Williams situation, where someone throws a kink in the game that he just can't recover from. But it's just I haven't seen any evidence that there's any kinks out there to throw. No, and again, I don't want to belabor the point, but look at Nadal's physiognomy. Look at the way he's playing right now. It's not the Nadal we know. And that means many things, but it means that his game is maybe not to the level that it once was. And just look at his physiognomy. The size of his neck is surprisingly half the size of what he used to be. So just, it doesn't have the same power, doesn't have the same movement, the same agility. Everything is a little beaten up, battered up, unfortunately. And Nadal's power forehand that he was known for doesn't really exist anymore. So a, a guy without his weapon can still have his brain to play on the court, but it can only take you so far when your bread and butter was not your brain to begin with. So, yeah, it's not going to be easy to Nadal. And I do think that Nadal is going to drop off of the top 10, 20 this year, and it's going to be uh, maybe the last we see of him. Not, it does, not literally, but he's going to maybe dwindle and for a couple of years and never gain back the prestige he once had. You know, fair, fair enough. Uh, well, he has the modeling career to fall back on, so <laughs> there you go. Um, or a poker career as well, too, maybe. Yes. It does beg the question, I think we'll end the men's conversation on this, is, is after the first month of the season, it's very early, obviously, um, who is the fifth, the fourth, and the fifth uh, player in the world? I mean, not rankings-wise, but in terms yeah. of like who, who would you They're put out right there? They're right now, right? They're play as we speak. Because I think you have to put Milos into it. You have to... <laughs> uh, fifth. For me, he's fifth. Yeah, behind Stan? Behind Stan, yeah. Even though you yeah. beat him, Stan still has a little more uh, credibility because of the last month of last season, too, that you would count for me as his player right now. But Milos is clearly there. You have uh, so Djokovic, Federer, uh, Murray, Stan, Milos. And yeah, the, the Stan, uh, that was an incredible win for Milos in a major to, to get that through in five sets and to gut it through. But you Stan have to replicate did, it too, right? To, to make sure that it's not a fluke. So yeah. that's why he's still behind Stan. I think it's important for Milos to, in the coming months that the, the, this stretch between uh, the majors is more important for him to get some of those points back, to get his rating, his ranking up higher. Uh, so he's Seated got there, a more favorable yeah. seed in the next major. So I think that's really the key for Milos in the next few days. He um, has to go to tournaments that he wasn't in last year, that he doesn't have points to defend but points to gain. And he might have to play a little bit more than last year. And it won't be necessarily hard because of injuries last year. So this year he seems like he's carrying a lot less weight. We've seen the result of that in the Australian Open where he went to the semifinals, lost to Andy Murray. But his play is a lot better. Serving volley is totally night and day compared to the years before. Uh, Carlos Moya is a head coach, but part-time coach in a way because he's more there to... uh, put the, the fine details and to make it more efficient, Piatti is there 
uh, day in, day out with Milos. And we've seen an incredible amount of improvements since last year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, real briefly before we left, we did talk about the doubles and try and include them in here. Uh, Nestor and Stepanek, uh, Stepanek pardon me, uh, didn't get the job done in the final, but a great performance nonetheless for you know a pair that old. <laughs> exactly. Unseated because they haven't played together in a while. And this year, well, the chemistry came back. It's like riding a bicycle when you're playing double with somebody for a long time. Eventually, if you take a break and go back together, the old instincts come back quickly and we've seen this in the Australian Open it bodes well for the future this year because now there's a little break that can uh, uh, focus on winning some doubles tournament here and there not having to face the same amount of opposition that it will face in the next uh, major so that is very important and eventually too the Pospisil and Nestor tandem will play together a couple tournaments before the Olympics to get that chemistry back as well so a very important year and very fun times for doubles in Canada especially but around the world too because of the proliferation of network feeds of internet of the tennis channel the tennis radio there's a way now to watch doubles so if you are inclined and if you like doubles Watch it. Make sure you know. Make sure people know that you watch it because the more ratings it does get, the more we will get on TV. So make sure that you do tune in for those doubles games when they do air on mainstream TV. All right. Jamie Murray, Bruno Soros, of course, the uh, champions there. Uh, that has to bode well for uh, Great Britain's chance to to get another Davis Cup under their uh, under their belts. Uh, Davis with him Cup, playing. Olympics as well with Great Britain. Uh, could uh, be important. Yeah, I wonder if the Murrays will play together in the double side. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, that'd be interesting. Um, th- that's the great thing, and I think that it's unfortunate. I mean, it's, you understand. It's the Olympics you have to play within your nation, but it is uh, probably the only tournament in the world where the doubles are at an equal footing, in my mind. So it, it's a big year for the doubles, as you said. We talked about the women's double final on the last show. We're not going to repeat it here today, but uh, – Certainly a fun times and an enjoyable tournament. Uh, final thoughts on the Aussie Open before we uh, move on. I, I really enjoyed it. I re- maybe it's because we were doing this show and I had to pay a little more attention. Um, but great I great tennis, great tennis overall. Yeah, yeah. I was up in the middle of the night a lot more than I was in past years. It is a great, great competition that, that kicks off the year. I it's just because it's uh, you know what I, I really like about the Aussie Open, Kevin, is that it reminds because tennis is a summer sport in our minds. Yeah. Um, you know, you play under the bubble and all that sort of jazz and what they do around the world. But nonetheless, you think about it in sunny skies and, and summertime days. Uh, it just reminds you that summers, we're on the other hump. We're on the other side of the hump here in, in the uh, northern hemisphere towards the summer months again. And the Aussie Open gives you that little reminder. They're in the peak of their summer. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's kind of why I like it, Kevin. And my final thoughts on that tournament is even though it started off maybe a little shady with some revelation and allegation by BuzzFeed and BBC that were continuous talking point during the whole tournament. But uh, as a fan of sports in general, I do like when the actual sports itself is what we remember out of a tournament. And outside of those 15 days, what we do remember is the upside by Kerber and the Djokovic dominance. Yes, we do take a close look at the allegation we will do all year long and whenever is the case but the tennis was just awesome in that tournament as well yeah all right i think that'll wrap the show and end our aussie open coverage uh this is a uh, podcast quickly, that is going to quickly sorry, go ahead, i just Kevin. want to mention uh, roger federer was injured uh, uh, oh yes injury yes. and he has been a uh, knee surgery yesterday it was arthroscopic surgery to just clean a little bit of probably some floating fragment of either bone or tendon that was causing him some amount of probably more inflammation than pain some amount of pain probably and now a uh, long 
span of time between major tournaments. He's going to miss two tournaments. He's going to recover and be ready and in probably very good shape for uh, the French Open. Yeah, that type of surgery is stuff that elite athletes have done all the time that you or I wouldn't have. That it's, more preventive, it's more preventive yeah. than anything else, but uh, at his level, at his age, well, his age for an athlete, it actually, if you prevent and see those troubles coming and eliminate them before they actually create a big inflammation or tear or small uh, micro tears in your ligaments, you can probably save you a lot of injury time. Yeah, it's it's you're talking about that 1.5%, you know, <laughs> difference between the, uh, your your peak performance, right? That that can make a difference at the elite level. Mar- well, marginal gains altogether does make a difference. And at that level, Federer is to, to maintain his level at this position in the world of tennis, he does have to rely on some marginal gains and he has uh claimed it that he does adjust his play according to the power of the other opponent and those marginal gains altogether does affect his play. And look, he did a, had a great run still yesterday in the Open. All right. As I said, Game Set Podcast is designed to be a podcast that peaks for the major events. Uh, so we obviously will be back uh, for the French Open, for the uh, the Wimbledon, for the Olympics, for um, the, the U.S. Cup Open. The, the Canadian yeah, Open, if you prefer. We'll do, uh, do a couple shows around that. and uh, But we'll check in in between, too. And I, I think, Kevin, probably our next check-in will be just before the next Davis Cup rounds. It'll allow us to talk about uh, some of those uh, more minor tournaments in between that. And maybe and, uh, it's time I talk about my dream, Dwayne, which you're unaware of. But I've oh, been yeah. trying the last couple of years to book my vacation period at the same time as the U.S. Open. Head down to New York. Go down to Flushing Meadows and watch some people play tennis i think if i do this this year my microphone is coming and for sure interviews will be coming as well all right so that's that's my check-in so look for us back closer to that march davis cup date where we'll uh, review what's happened since then preview the davis cup and then uh you know probably about monthly leading into the french open until that time that's game set match on today's show You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.